fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Thursday, the pre-Friday celebration, greatest day of the entire week. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. You are so close to it, my friends. Hang tight. Have some fun. Let's carpe diem all over this place. Because that's what we do here every single day on The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Welcome aboard, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, we love you to death. You're a millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. And holy cow, man, I'm (laughs) I'm trying to recover from last night. What the hell was that? What was that last night? It was chaos and anarchy on the debate stage. It was a decent speech from Donald Trump at the UAW in Michigan. And he hit on the things he really needed to hit on, so I applaud him for that. He really focused on the topical issues that would have impacted UAW workers and labor unions while the labor unions despise him with an absolute passion. So I think he did relatively well there. We have the debate stage that we'll get to in just a minute. We have the government that's about to shut down in OT minus three days, which will be hilarious to watch. And we sit down with Congressman Bob Latta from the 5th District of Ohio. He'll be joining us at the bottom of this hour to talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. So a lot to cover, a lot to do today. And I, I don't know what everybody else was watching last night, whether you watched just the Trump speech, whether you just watched the debate, or whether you tried to watch both of them. If you did watch the debate, though, I don't know what debate many people were watching because according to the latest poll from Drudge and on Fox News, Nikki Haley was the winner of that debate last night. And I'd have to strongly disagree with that. That was ridiculous. Nikki Haley pulled out the Kamala Harris card last night trying to just overpower everybody else by being a not-so-nice person. And while Andy, what about Donald Trump? Donald Trump does that all the time. When Donald Trump does it, he actually has a point. And while it may be like a cheap shot, he has a legitimate point behind it on why he calls somebody a certain name. Nikki Haley was just angry for the sake of being angry. And Vivek Ramaswamy, again, just got under her skin like nobody else. Between her and Chris Christie, they despise that guy. And he trolls them to the nth degree. And it's hilarious to watch. In my opinion, Vivek Ramaswamy was again the debate of round number two of the GOP presidential debates. He dominated that last night, and it, here's the thing. I'm a little weirded, uh, weirded out by him because he says everything to exactly what I want to hear, and it's very strange, and either it's because he's really, really articulate or he knows exactly what we want to hear, and I don't know what to say. Now, again, to put all of this into perspective, all of these guys and gals are debating for the second-place position within the Republican Party, and while they tried to distance themselves last night, by going after Donald Trump, by attacking him for not being on the debate stage, while saying that poll numbers are only poll numbers and polls don't mean anything, it's actually who turns out and votes in the elections. That is true, but poll numbers, although granted are extremely skewed in many cases, are a general idea of where we could be moving forward. They're not exact. They're not detailed. You always take a poll with a grain of salt, but you can at least get a general assumption of where we're at. And while they say there's like a two to three point difference in the numbers, I would extend that out to maybe a five or six or ten point difference 
in the numbers. But at the same time, even beyond those margins, Donald Trump is still vastly in the lead above everybody else. And watching him with his speech last night showed that he has zero concern about any of these candidates. Zero concern. So the squabbling, the back and forth, the arguing, there were multiple times last night where those Fox moderators did not do a good job holding those candidates accountable for not speaking over each other. There was just absolute chaos on that stage. Absolute chaos. For what? For the fact that we have candidates bickering for the second place position that's well behind the front runner, which is former President Donald J. Trump. Now, that's not an endorsement of any of the candidates. That's just pure speculation. And that's the way I'm going to go into this because I have my beliefs and we talk about them on the show. But when we talk about the candidates, we talk about them in a speculative form of this is where they're at and this is no attack or non-attack unless we deem necessary to attack. But at the same time right now, what we saw yesterday with the debate stage and the anger coming from Nikki Haley completely unconstituted because we're supposed to still be a party here, a unified party. And I know that Republicans are very bad at that, totally get it. But Nikki Haley was the one last night that was just tearing everybody else down because she got a little jump in the polls lately and she thinks that this is her big moment and therefore had to try to um, 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 stand out in front of the crowd, so to speak. And she did. But in my opinion, not in a positive light. She, it, it really shows, and again, you know us, we like to go a little bit deeper on this program. It really showed me the vast difference in generational politics. The vast difference on how different generations are viewing the issues of today. Nikki Haley is very much more of an establishment, middle of the road, George Bush style Republican. And I mean, especially, I mean, she does decent on economic issues. She does decent on education issues. I'm not talking about those. Mostly on foreign policy issues. She's very much the middle of the road, mainstream Republican, um, establishment, moderate, George Bush style Republican. And those days are done. And she doesn't quite understand that. Mike Pence in many ways is the same way. Chris Christie in many ways is the same way. Many of them are the, the very old school style Republican. There's a brand new version of Republicanism out there, and Vivek Ramaswamy is the epitome of that. That prime example was when last night Haley went after him for using the TikTok stuff and saying how dumb he was and how he's supporting China because he has a TikTok account. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say because I can't believe they hear you've got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. That means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get me just text say, messages, they can get all I, of these important. things. This is very important for our exactly party. This is very important for our party, and I'm going to say what we've seen is you've gone and you've helped China build, make medicines in China, not America. You are now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We can't trust you. All right, so none of that's true, really, what she tried to accuse Vivek Ramaswamy was. And when the question came up, the attack was after he had said why he joined the social media account of TikTok that is owned by the company of ByteDance that is run by the government of China. So the answer is I have a radical idea for the Republican Party. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. 
kids under the age of social, under the age of 16, should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. And uh, I mean, he's absolutely right. And that, by the way, counters everything that she just accused him of doing. Uh, we want uh, you're trying to put all these kids on social media apps that are run by the Chinese government, yada yada yada. There's a bigger difference here, and it goes much deeper than just the ties with China or not China. And you know my position on TikTok. I've said it many times on this program that if you're so terribly concerned about the use of TikTok and the Chinese government getting your information because they want your information, then you also need to hold that same standard to every other really account out there. If you use Facebook, if you use YouTube, if you use Google and Gmail accounts for your email, if you use Yahoo, every single one of those does the exact same thing. And it goes to our government. And you can see how well that they're actually treating us with our government as well by calling us and deeming us domestic terrorists if we try to get involved with our kids in the public school system. They deem us as the radical domestic terrorists if we're a MAGA supporter or a Republican. They deem us as a domestic terrorist and try to do tax audits on us. They try to boost up the IRS. They try to put in a, excuse me, a social credit score. They're trying to use the ESG for businesses. They're going after us the same way and even worse than what China's doing as the consumer. And it's because they're collecting your data from the social media that you're using already. So let's not be hypocrites here and say that TikTok's super duper evil while we continue to do that and use Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Google and Gmail accounts at the same time. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So uh, he's absolutely right. There are young generations that are using these new social media groups. And again, this is why this is a difference in generational politics. I understand her position. We don't want kids on the social media. We don't want to be supporting them. We want to take our stand and we want to stand against social media because they're evil and they're corrupting a lot of kids. And it's causing depression. It's causing online bullying. It's causing a lot of mental health issues. It's causing anxiety. It's causing the uh, t- uh, the lack of patience because we have to wait for how many likes we get on here. It's keeping us isolated. Social media in the online issue is a very devastating effect for young minds, especially even adults. I was one of the last generations where we didn't have it growing up. I didn't, and it was a little bit early, so I was kind of late to the game. But I didn't open up my first Facebook account until I got into college, and I never had a MySpace. I, was, I could have, but I never did it because I didn't know what it was. My parents wouldn't let me because we didn't use computers really much. So I was the last generation that really had that difference. The generation before me, the Nikki Haley generation, doesn't understand that that's where young children are. Whether you want them to be or not, that's where they are. So if you're going to reach them, if you're going to share the message to them, you have to be involved with them, which is why, yes, I have a TikTok account. I don't post a whole lot on it, but I comment on other videos and I scroll through it myself to see what's going on. So, yes, I have a TikTok. I have a, the 30 other social media sites that we use on this program to try and get that message out there. Because we understand unless we're there, the other generation's not going to hear our message. Donald, or I'm sorry, Joe Biden has actually done interviews with TikTok influencers. Joe Biden has done interviews with social media influencers and whatever the hell a social media influencer is, I don't know, but they apparently make a living and make millions of dollars going on social media and talking about random crap, talking about the pop culture of the day, interviewing people, or just doing random stupid stuff. And they make millions of dollars and get millions upon millions of views. 
And if we're not part of that messaging, they'll never hear about us. The only thing they will hear is about how evil we are, about how hateful Republicans are, about how close-minded bigoted Republicans are, about how the evil rich people are part of the uh, Republicans that don't care about you, that don't care about it. And none of that's true, obviously, but we have to reach them. And Nikki Haley's generation of politics and the way she sees things doesn't understand that, unfortunately. There's a massive generational political difference right now. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. And we're starting to see it come tenfold because we've had so many, quote not to make fun, the older generation that has hung on to uh, the party power and the governmental powers for so long, they no longer represent or understand the constituency that's starting to come up. And we have to change that. We have Donald Trump, God bless him, because we love him to death, that's over 80 years old. We have Joe Biden that's over 80 years old. We have the vast majority of Congress that's over 70 or 80 years old. They don't understand what the 20 and 30-year-olds are all about, where they're getting their information, how they're getting their information, and how they view the certain issues. And we have to have that representation, not to endorse Vivek Ramaswamy here, because he's got some very serious issues that I'm concerned about as well, and this is not an endorsement of him. It's just showing there's a major difference in just how both of those two individuals are viewing the world, and that's why we're seeing them clash. It's why we're seeing them clash. Vivek's like, hey, I want to reach the young generation. I'm going to start a TikTok account. Nikki Haley's like, oh, you're supporting China for doing that. That's evil. But unless we do that, how are we going to reach that 20-year-old that's on TikTok? Because I doubt they're listening to Fox News. I doubt they're turning on Newsmax. They could be, and there are some, but the vast majority of them don't know. So Newsmax, Fox News, those guys need to have TikTok accounts to reach those guys and let them know what the hell's going on. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. You know what really concerns me about this whole generational politics thing is that we have, as we mentioned, the average politician in Washington right now that are well over their 60s or 70s, whatever that medium age may be. It's come down a little bit now that we have some younger generation in there. Not necessarily the best ones like the AOCs and the Rashida Tlaibs and Ilhan Omars and those that are lowering that age but not giving us the best reputation for the young generation. But nonetheless, it's starting to come down slowly. But I am really concerned because the vast majority are still in their upper 60s, 70s, 80s in D.C. while they're talking about these major life-altering decisions for the new world. And new world, I mean by the technology booms that we're seeing trying to discuss where social media falls in line. Is it free speech? Is it journalism? Do you have a right to talk on there? What about privacy issues uh, ongoing with the Patriot Act 2.0, essentially? Then we have artificial intelligence being thrown into the realm. We have electric vehicles. We have a lot of changing things in the world right now in these people that are a little bit on the older side that are running it, and not against the older ones, because guess what? The older generations, they have the wisdom. We should be listening to the older generations. We should be listening to the stories. We should be listening to what they have to say and their life lessons and interpreting it into this world now and what's going on right now for us to uh, be able to move forward and go into it with a clear head. But on these issues, we've literally heard them say, I don't know what any of this means. During the hearings, if you remember with uh, Jack, what's his face? Uh, that was the head of Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook when they go in to do their hearings. They literally say, I don't know what you're talking about. 
the elected officials, I don't know what any of this means. You should. And if you don't, then why are you there leading the conversation about this stuff? That is a cause for concern. I wanted. To, I don't want to spend the whole time on the debate, though, because that was just anarchy. And those uh, there were a couple other really weird clips in there. We had them talking about sleeping with teachers. And I just don't understand quite what, <laughs> what the point of any of that was. I get it. Chris Christie was like, Joe Biden sleeping with the teachers union person. Okay. That's his wife. Understand. Uh, yes, they're in bed with the teachers union. They always have been even before the president of the United States was married to a teachers union member. Guess what? It, it was weird conversations. Chris Christie had a really stupid line in the entire thing as well, but that uh, generational politics is starting to get more evident. And as moving forward, we have to make a tough decision on how to handle that because I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. On the other front, before the debate last night, President Trump was at the UAW and their protest and speaking, and I was very concerned about how he was going to approach this one not being a fan of the labor unions, not having the labor unions be a fan of him by any stretch of the imagination, that I didn't know how he was going to approach it. And like in typical Trump fashion, man, he came out swinging, went after the electric vehicles, went after the unions, and went after the actual auto dealers themselves with what they were promoting that would ruin their entire industry themselves. And I don't get one thing. I don't get why Ford and GM, why these car makers aren't fighting for to make cars that are going to sell, to make cars that are going to be able to go on long distances. They immediately give up. I see it with the oil companies, too. They're promoting windmills, which don't work, by the way, but they don't work. They want windmills all over the place. It's like they're told what to do, and that's what they go against their industry. They're either stupid or they're gutless. But why do they concede so fast this plant? We just walked through this plant, and uh, the electric vehicles are going to put them out of business. They don't need any of this the things that you make in Michigan, they don't need any of it. Why is it that these big, powerful car companies with guys that are making $35 million a year immediately quit? They say, you want electric vehicles? We'll give it to you when the damn things don't go far enough and they're too expensive. I mean, spot on. Spot on. And I think while he didn't come out and openly say that unions are great and you deserve $50 an hour, he gave them an eye-opening concern. That This is exactly what we've said on the program here, is that you're supporting a union that's funding Democrats that are advocating for the agenda that's going to remove your job in two to three to ten years. And you need to be aware of that. And this electric vehicle move is going to kill this entire industry, and you're supporting it by supporting the union who's supporting the Democrat who's pushing this agenda. Wake up, man. Doesn't help your cause in any way, shape, or form. Lots more coming up on The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into The Voice of Reason. Always wonderful to have you along. As you know, it's been a lot of big battles going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Will we see the government shut down in just a couple of days at the end of September? Could we see a continuing resolution or some type of stop at gap funding bill? Could we see a budget actually pass with somewhat of an appropriations process being fulfilled? 
Those are the questions that are lingering right now in Washington, D.C. And to talk about it as he's on the line with us this morning, really happy to have him on the line with us from Washington, D.C., from the 5th Congressional District of the great state of Ohio. It's Congressman Bob Latta. Congressman, how are you, my friend? Great. Thanks very much for having me on this morning. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking some time. I know you guys got out really late last night. You guys have been working on a lot of bills, trying to scramble to make sure we don't shut down the government What's the latest I know with you guys getting out near 1, 2 o'clock yesterday or this morning? Uh, talk about the process. Where are we at right now with this with this bill? Well, what they would like to do is to move forward the appropriation bill. So you're looking at defense, ag, uh, state, and homeland and get those uh, approaches out. So we, and that takes up a massive, I think over, I think it's 72 to 73 percent of everything then that we'd be doing. So if you can get those four done. And then do a short-term uh, continuing resolution for either 30 or 45 days to get so we can get the rest done so we don't get, uh, as we always say, jammed by the Senate with a massive uh, type Christmas tree in December where they just pile everything on. That's why we have the fiscal disaster that we have. But I know that over in the Senate, I heard that Senator Paul might be doing, because they can, you know, one person can hold things up over there. He might hold things up that uh, on Saturday, which is when uh, the... Uh, midnight deadline looms that uh, it would probably go into a shutdown at that time. But if you could do a short, you know, if it'd be short over the weekend, most people wouldn't even know you had one. But uh, that's why it's important that we keep working. And I think some people said, well, why don't you just go ahead and shut the government down? I had uh, my staff do some work and I had them check it three times because I couldn't believe the number. But we've, we've shut down uh, since I've been in Congress, uh, since 2013 three times for 52 days. And during that uh, 52 days, of course, what we ended up doing in a shutdown, well, we always pay everybody uh, not being here. So we paid out $3.66 billion. But the number I had to have checked multiple times is this one, that you look at what the uh, cost is overall when you look at that the productivity because of a shutdown in the 52 days, it turns out to be about 57,000 years. So it's, and we get farther and farther behind with COVID. We had a situation, of course, where everybody was sent home and people were trying to get passports, uh, VA problems, uh, income tax problems that we work on continuously. But all of a sudden, if uh, everybody's out again, we were in the same boat that uh, we're not getting the work done for the people. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult situation. And personally, I mean, I know a lot of people don't mind watching the government shut down if a lot of like you said, I mean, when it comes to paying that stuff, if we see the freeze, because I mean, let's be honest, Congress, I mean, I know Matt Gates has said that he would want to withhold his paycheck if the government shuts down. And I think most Congress should be withheld from pay. If we don't do, I mean, we have a deadline and the budget needs to get done at a certain time. And if we don't get a job done, then, you know, we have to continue to work on it until it gets done. Uh, and it, you're right. It, it causes a lot of disaster in Washington, D.C. Um, where are we at when it comes to budget cuts with this process, with this bill? Because I know that's what a lot of conservatives are holding out on. They want deeper cuts in the government. We're not even sure what kind of conti- – it wouldn't even really be a continuing resolution because it wouldn't be the same funding level that we're at right now, which I think most Republicans agree with in the House of Representatives. So if we do see some type of uh, potential extension of a budget right now, even temporarily, would it have some kind of cuts? And do you think it's going to appease enough Republicans in order to pass it? Well, you know, back when we had the uh, the debt ceiling debate, uh, it was we had an amendment that was put in that said that if we didn't get things done 
and you went to we, we'd have a, 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 a this is starting on the first not the fiscal year but the calendar year that all all federal agencies departments would have one percent cut. And so, you know, that's looming over everybody's head, too, because, you know, there's some people that say, oh, I don't want to have any cuts. But, uh, you know, people say, well, 1%, but when you're talking about trillions of dollars, that's a lot of money then when you talk about 1%. I could live off that. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, you mentioned about uh, members and their pay. I, I had, I once again, I last yesterday, in fact, signed, signed the letter to send over to our fiscal office saying, don't pay me yeah. uh, when we, if we go into a shutdown. But I think that, you know, we're looking at uh, the numbers are, I wouldn't say they're too, they're far apart. But uh, the one thing that we have to remember is, is that the Senate, pretty much the Republicans and Democrats over there, they agree on what they're going to do. And it's going to be, so, and then you got the president agreeing what they're going to do. So you got uh, three on one then. But, uh, you know, here in the Republicans in the House, we do know we're going to, we're, we're approaching a fiscal disaster out there. And you, you and I have talked. Now, probably by the year 2027, 2028, we're going to pay a trillion dollars just to pay interest on the debt. Yeah. Uh, that number that uh, the Treasury note uh, for the 10-year now is over 4.5%. Uh, you know, the borrowing costs for people are going up. This is this is a fiscal disaster coming at us real quick, and it's already hitting a lot of people. They can't go out and buy a house today because the mortgage rates are too high. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a complete disaster. And I think this is a pivotal moment for Republicans. And while we do see a potential government shutdown looming um, for Republicans to stand strong and make their voice heard and finally say enough is enough. Like you said, we're not over. We're not looking over the cliff anymore. We're already the wily e. Coyote over the cliff with our body falling on our head, trying to keep above water right now with how bad this is. And then when we pass this the debt ceiling uh, bill from back in June that increased our normal spending by $2 trillion for this next budget, which is the level that we spent during the mass COVID-19 bailout just a year or two ago. That's going to be our new level of normal spending. That's insanity. So if we can actually not spend all of that and try and actually cut do some deep cuts out of the discretionary funding that we can, that's going to be necessary. I know Democrats are always going to balk on that, but I mean, this is something that's kind of got to be done, isn't it? Well, absolutely. You know, I'm a historian by training and, and also an attorney, and I read history all the time. And I, I think back to Ulysses S. Grant uh, after the surrender at Appomattox. He he what he did was he hightailed it back to Washington to say, "Stop all the spending. Don't spend any. You know, we don't need any more. Don't don't buy anything else. Don't anything." So he knew. You know, in 1865, you can't uh, keep spending, and you got to cut the stuff back. Yeah. So it's important that we do because, again, when you talk about passing it on to the next generation and let them worry about it, no, we're, we're only, I always say, if you don't think you're going to make it in the next three years, you're going to pay for it. Amen to that. We're talking with Congressman Bob Latta from the 5th District of Ohio. Uh, right now, as you guys look at and, and as you try to pass four of the appropriations bills last night, how did that go? And are we closer to getting some of those actually passed, even if not all of them are passed by the end of this weekend, uh, at least some of them moving forward? Well, when you look at the, you know, the, the four the four bills, again, uh, you're looking at probably around 72, 73% of all the, the dollars out there. So when you're thinking about defense and ag, and when I talk about ag, uh, you, know, you know, I come from an area that's heavily agriculture along with manufacturing. And a lot of people think, boy, that's a lot of money spending on agriculture, but it's only 20% actually is for the, you know, the actual producer out there because your food stamp, SNAP, and all those programs make up the other 80%. Yeah. 
And then you look at uh, uh, on the with state and you also put on homeland. That's one of the ones we're really concentrating on because once again, all you got to do is turn on the TV, pick up a paper, listen to the radio. And everybody's talking about with the disasters occurring at the border. And, you know, we want to make sure that we restore the funding to build that. Well, as the Border Patrol would say, the barrier down there, that they can, they can control 95% of the traffic then and keep, the, keep it under control and not have, you know, like in the first two years of the president's uh, term, have 5 million people illegally crossed into this country. And now, of course, in New York and all of the liberal cities, they're all screaming that this, they ought to all stay in Texas. Well, I think the governor down there did the right thing when he started saying, you know what? We need to share share the pain out there because we can't do it all down here. And all of a sudden now you have New York and these other cities saying, this has got to stop. Yeah. Yeah, it continues to get worse down there, and I'm glad you guys are focusing on part of this as the budget to figure out what resources we need to actually get down there. Let's look at this worst-case scenario, and let's see a potential government shutdown that happens this weekend. Uh, From your speculation, from both the House and the Senate side, uh, as we continue to try and negotiate and and push that boundary on what we can do, who do you think is going to cave easier or at least compromise and and move a little bit more to actually make something happen. On the Senate side, we have more, I use moderates with an air quote here, someone like Joe Manchin and others that have gone with Republicans and stopped some of those massive spending budgets from the Democrat side because they realized how devastating they were. On the House side, I know Republicans have a bad reputation of compromising a little bit too quickly and because they are scared of stuff, but I do see an opportunity for us to really make this because of how hard you guys are working right now do you think, uh, I know it's early on in the process right now, but speculation-wise, do you see something semi-decent coming out with potential moderate Democrat support to avoid the shutdowns? Well, you know, when I look back, um, this is my, uh, I came into Congress in 2007, and seeing the three shutdowns, they usually end poorly for the folks that start them and, and shut things down. That's why you want to try to get this done beforehand yeah. so you can get the negotiations done because then it just becomes a lot of times a stalemate to see who cracked first. <laughs> because you might remember the one shutdown we had that uh, it went over the, uh, uh, oh boy, it was from about the uh, end of December, like just before Christmas until uh, after about the mid to late part of January of 2018. 2019 is 34 days. And so, you know, we need we need to get as much done as we possibly can. We need to get these bills passed and get and get this hopefully uh, a short term and negotiate uh, over with the Senate and say, look, you guys got you just can't have it all and just say this is all you're going to do and that's it. Because what they do a lot of times is they'll pass something and they go home. This is done. Yeah. And uh, so that's what, that's how we always say that you get jammed by the Senate and we we just can't have that happen. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Your Patriot on the Prairie as we continue to advance truth, reason, common sense. That's just what we do on the show here. Last couple of minutes. Thanks again to Congressman Bob Latta, 5th District of Ohio, coming on the program. We love him to death. Although I have to slightly disagree with him a little bit on, I know he was very much, we can't shut down the government, can't shut down the government, can't shut down the government. I get it. I understand it. However, and he talked about how much money it actually costs the government for us to continue to be delayed and back things up and all the services that are delayed. I understand that. At the same time, as I've mentioned, we are at a pivotal point, And if that's what it takes for Republicans to finally start turning the ship just a little bit, then that's what we have to do. And it's well worth it. We cannot maintain. And this is the argument that we have every single time that we have every single year that we have every single budget cycle is can't shut down the government. We just need to come up with an agreement, even if it means just us compromising and getting a half a percent of what we want. No, no more of that. We cannot do that any longer. We have to get at least 30 to 40 to 50 percent of what we want. Minimum. And if not, then no go. Sorry. Kevin McCarthy, do your damn job and rally the Republican Party. Steve Scalise, you're the Republican whip. Get the Republican Party in the majority and actually get them to get unified to do something good. That's what we have to do. I mean, not to be too angry here, but come on, man. Like, this is not that hard. We are going to be financially ruined. And we have Republicans that talk about how bad we are going to be financially ruined unless we actually change course. And then it comes down to it when we have the opportunity to do so. And guess what? It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. We're going to have people push back on us a lot. It doesn't matter. If you mean and actually mean what you say and say what you mean, about having us steer back on course and get our finances in order, then this is where we do it. And we will not waver. We will not compromise. And no matter how long the government may or may not be shut down, it is that important. I'd rather take the hit and delay the services and play catch up on those to a point to where we can be financially and economically savvy. We can start abolishing these agencies to get them down to statewide levels. And then the state levels can be more efficient in actually working on those services. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe that's the alternative here, isn't it? Look at that. The problem solvers here on The Voice Reason. Maybe that's what we do. If the government's shutting down and it's not providing services, then that's the perfect opportunity for Republicans, while Democrats are saying, oh, we're not offering services and people are going to die on the streets and we're all going to die here. That's, I mean, that's what they like to... We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) (laughs) While they try to promote that, then this is the perfect and prime opportunity for us to say, hey... Maybe we should just put those services down at the state levels. They're not shutting down their government. They can operate a little bit more efficiently, and that will give us time to get our ducks in a row and actually straighten out our finances. And guess what? Now that's something that we don't actually have to fund at a federal level. I know. Weird, weird stance to take, right? Weird position to be in to say that the states can actually handle a lot of these things. But we have to stay strong. So all the Republicans, and I know many different elected officials that listen to the program, Stay strong. And if it means a government shutdown because Democrats are unwavering and they say that you have to come on board with us, which is the way they operate every single time, stay strong. And no matter how long this government shutdown could potentially be, guess what? We're going to be victorious in the end. The Senate earlier today, by the way, is a news brief for you. The Senate said that they have voted to open up debate on a stopgap funding bill. And it passed overwhelmingly with 76 to 22 in the Senate to not pass the bill, but to open up discussion on the floor for the bill. I haven't seen anything on actual passing of a bill yet or a vote on the bill at all. But according to Reuters, this vote happened earlier this morning. And uh, there are 
The 22 that voted against it were mostly conservative Republicans who think that the stopgap funding bill is absolutely astronomical, as it does authorize roughly $6 billion for each domestic disaster response funding, along with uh, it's essentially just the continuing resolution with current funding levels, which is why most Republicans don't want this. A current level continuing resolution that does also extend federal spending until November 17th. And it includes funding for aid to Ukraine and defense against Russia with the ongoing conflict. So uh, 22 Republicans voted against that one earlier today, 76 to 22, obviously it passing with a big majority. And that discussion's happening for that continuing resolution. Here's the thing. If they do pass it in the Senate and it goes to the House, it is dead on arrival because the conservatives and the House representatives will not give the Republican majority to make it happen. So either... It's dead and we're still with nothing. Or McCarthy's going to start reaching out to Democrats to get this one to happen with moderate Republicans and see if they can pass it without the conservatives, making again the fact that he's turned on the conservative movement to actually curb spending, to actually bring some accountability and economic issues, and he's going to betray and work with the moderates and the Democrats on big government with current spending levels through November with funding to Ukraine and all the other pet projects Democrats have. Seems like we're winning on this one, right? Very frustrating. We'll have some more updates from it until tomorrow. But until then, podcast up in just a little bit. Be your own voice of reason. Don't waver, my friends. Stay strong. We will prevail at the end. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the air.